It's a great way to memorize Scripture, is to sing Scripture, and we do that a lot. All right, if you have your Bibles, take them and turn to the book of Galatians. Surprise! We just spent half a year preaching through the book of Galatians, and we finished it two weeks ago. But I couldn't bear to leave the book of Galatians. I couldn't bear to leave without landing on two verses that we are going to study for the next 10 weeks together. Two verses in the book of Galatians that we're going to study for the next 10 weeks. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, we're going to memorize this together, and I trust God is going to transform us as we study this together. I hope you're familiar with this text. Hear the word of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So far the reading of God's Word. Last Tuesday night at our men's group, our men's Bible study, I came in the room and Rob Pomeroy had brought a gift from his wife, Michelle, this huge, beautiful fruit salad for the men's group. And it was this bowl, this crystal bowl filled with fresh pineapple and tangy strawberries and sweet honeydew and plump blueberries, and large seedless grapes sliced in half. And it was just about the best fruit salad I have ever tasted. Everything was fresh and potent. It was absolutely delicious. Well, in our text today, the Apostle Paul brings to us a cluster of fruit that is even better than what Michelle Pomeroy made for us on Tuesday night. This is what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit of God. And this fruit described here is the life of Jesus Christ that becomes manifest in the people of Jesus Christ. It describes you and it describes me. Do you know this passage? Do you know, I had been a Christian for several years before. I, I might have read it, but I never paid any attention to it. I just glossed over it. And maybe this is new for some of us. But this is a great crescendo in the book of Galatians, and, and we only touched on it very quickly on one Sunday. And so as I was praying, and as we discussed it some as elders we decided before we leave the book of Galatians, we have to ask ourselves, what does this transformed life look like? This fruit of the Spirit. And you know, when I read it, I look around this room, and I think of some of you. And so I'm just giving you heads up that sometimes we preachers, we illustrate the points of the Bible by telling stories. But, but I plan on using some human illustrations 
even from inside this congregation. Now, I won't use your name unless I get your permission, okay? But I look around this room, and I see the reality of the fruit of the Spirit in people's lives. And it is one of the things that makes this old pastor so happy, so blessed. What's in this list? What is it? Here's what it is. It is the evidence of the life of Jesus Christ in you. And the reason this is so wonderful is because if you're like me, I'm always battling my flesh, my sinful flesh. I'm always battling my selfishness, my laziness, my harshness, my pride. I'm always battling. And what this verse does is it assures us that God has not let go of us, that he's going to change us. We say in this church, especially from our study in the book of Galatians, we say that the grace of God is saving grace, right? The grace of God is saving grace. That is, he saved us from our sins. By what? By virtue of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, salvation came to us as Christ, the Lamb of God, laid down his life for us and his blood paid for our sins. That is what we call saving grace when it is applied to us. And the whole book of Galatians is about justification, isn't it? Salvation by the work of Christ. How wonderful is the saving grace of God. But that's not all, right? What other kind of grace does the book of Galatians teach us about? It teaches us about transforming grace. And we call that, here's an old-fashioned word, sanctification. Sanctification. Justification is the work that Christ did that frees us from the guilt of our sin, but sanctification is the work of Christ that progressively frees us from the power of sin. And the life of Jesus is worked out inside of us, okay? Do you understand that? And that is what he's talking about here, that second kind of grace. You're never saved by the fruit of the Spirit. Christ saved you. But you are transformed by the indwelling life of Jesus inside you. And that's what we're going to study together over these next ten weeks. Sometimes. When I take my wife out to dinner, we go to a, a nice restaurant. You know what she'll get for, for dinner? Appetizers. She'll just get two or three of the appetizers as her main meal. She says, because they're so good here, and I really like them. Have you ever done that? Well, today's sermon, today's sermon is that kind of a meal for you. It's the appetizers. What I want to do with you today is I just want to sample this entire list of nine of the fruit of the Spirit, then next week we will dive into the first one, the pinnacle, the great one of love, the fruit of the Spirit of love. We will, but today, today you're joining Nina and you're just having the appetizers as we work through and get a comprehensive sense, okay, of these two verses of Scripture that will be ours for the next two months. Let's start right at the top of the list. First appetizer out. What is it? Is it any surprise that when the Apostle Paul crescendos 
to announce the fruit of the Spirit of God in the Spirit-filled, Spirit-led, Spirit-directed Christian life, the first fruit of the Spirit in his list is what? Love. And I wonder if you've ever thought, what is the chief hallmark, the chief identification uh, of a Christian, an authentic follower of Jesus? You know, some people, if they're honest especially in our Presbyterian tradition, some people think the chief hallmark is doctrine, correct doctrine. Now, if you know me, you know that I think careful attention to biblical doctrine is of utmost importance. You've got to fight the good fight of faith. You want to put off falsehood and you want to embrace the truth. But you know what? Paul says in the verse we read from 1 Corinthians 13 today, if I have all knowledge, and if I understand all mysteries, and have not love, what does he say? I am nothing. Hmm. Some people say that the true mark of the authentic Christian is faith. And I'll tell you what, as we study the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians is the book of faith. Justification by faith alone, right? The cry of the church is, in, in Latin is sola fide. By faith alone we rest in Christ for our salvation. Faith is absolutely essential to the Christian life. But what did we read in 1 Corinthians 13? If I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am what? Nothing. Some people say, you know, the, the, frankly, the true mark of an authentic Christian is ecstatic religious experience. It's a religious experience. Usually they mean the kind that I've had. And, and you know what? The Bible does say in the New Testament that the Christian life should be full of joy unspeakable and full of glory. And, and it is a wonderful thing to recognize that Jesus Christ is not just some idea in your brain, but Christ is alive and he is real. And the Holy Spirit is not just a theological term, but he is real. And yet, and yet, it says in the passage we read in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of angels, wow. Whatever that means. But have not love, I am nothing. And some people say, I know what the mark of authentic Christianity is. It's taking care of the poor. Because it is true that Jesus Christ is the champion of the poor. And Jesus Christ cares deeply. He weeps over the broken, the hurting, the outcast. The alien and the stranger make provision for them. The Bible is very clear that this is to be in the, in the life of the church. And yet the passage we read from 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I give everything that I have to the poor and my body to be burned, talk about a sacrifice, and have not love, I am nothing. So, it's no surprise, is it, that the Bible, when he lists the, the fruit of God's Spirit, 
lists as firsts in the order and really the pinnacle of the manifestation of God's spirit, love. Are you with me on this? Do you see why this is here? What is love? Love love is that affection of the heart that seeks the good of others. It's that Greek word agape. It's goodwill, benevolence, brotherly love, self-forgetting, self-sacrificing for the good of another person. Love. 1 John 4.19 tells us that God initiates it in your life. It says, 1 John 4.19, it says, we love because he first loved us. So the, the whole initiative, if you are going to be a woman of love, a man of love, it will happen because God has first loved you. He has first touched you with his love. He has first struck you with his love. He has first broken you and remade you with his love. That's first. And then Romans 5, verse 5, is an amazing illustration. It says in Romans 5, verse 5, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It says that God's love is, here comes someone with a big bucket of love, and with a, the Hugo Rosero, the, the, the heart surgeon, opens you up, clamps, clamps your sternum open, and they bring the bucket of love, and they pour it in. That's great heart surgery. He pours in God's love into your heart by the Holy Spirit. God does it. You know, I do see this in our church. I could point to any number of you, but I just want to commend to you our director of Christian education, Pastor Tay. And one of the things I love about Tay is that he is a man of love. I see it when he's with the teenagers of our church. And I see how he has this, this heart of goodwill toward them. He has this heart that yearns for blessing to fall on them and the little children of our church. And, you know, he's one of the most high-energy people you'll ever meet, but his energy just seems to be directed in love to blessing people wherever he goes, and I love that about him. Get to know him, and you will have a living illustration of the fruit of the Spirit of love. And that's just one. I just mention it because it's good to get to know this brother. Me, I am often so self-centered. And you know, C.S. Lewis says that self-centeredness is even worse than selfishness. Self-centeredness, self-centeredness, the nuance between selfishness and self-centeredness is subtle. Selfishness is just that moment when I'm, I'm trying to get you to take care of me, but self-centeredness actually places myself at the center of the universe and said the universe exists for my benefit. And that's my default. Is that your default? That's why I so desperately need the fruit of the spirit of love. I need God to clamp open, my, break my sternum and open it up and pour his love into my heart. Now, 
as the list of fruit develops. Here comes the other appetizers as the list of the fruit develops. All these are facets of the love of God. And um, I learned this uh, because over 30 years ago, 35 years ago, I was in a Bible study in college. And my friend said to me, John, I hear that our, our little small group, uh, there were eight of us in this group, we have a special guest coming. Okay? Who is it? I wonder. I go into the room, and there's just ten of us sophomore guys, and there is the great preacher, John Stott. Now, if you don't know who John Stott is, in the 1970s, in the 1980s, in the early part of the 1990s, without question, he was the leader of the evangelical world in terms of, in terms of, uh, in terms of preaching and teaching and writing. His book on the Sermon on the Mount is masterful. His commentary on the book of Ephesians is, is unsurpassed. His every year at the Urbana Missionary Conference, he was the Bible teacher, and you can listen to his tapes on the book of Romans. They are stunning. They are staggering. And yet, a most pious and godly man. And he just happened to be coming through town, and somebody got him and says, I'm leading a Bible study. Would you meet with these ridiculous 19-year-old young men? And he said, sure, I would. And they said, you can talk about anything you want to discuss with them. He said, okay, I will. And he chose these two verses, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. I'll never forget this. And he opened up the list of the fruit of the Spirit to us. He started with love, and then he showed how these were not independent of each other, but actually they're all a function of love, a, a different prism, a different angle on the beauty of the love of God that makes man, gets, gets manifest in the life of the believer. And so, the next two flow right out of the love of God. And what are they? What does love bring? It brings joy and peace. Joy and peace. And are we surprised that these two uh, beautiful pictures of the fruit of God flow together? They're together? Not at all. When I finish the service... You know, we do a lot of all kinds of crazy things in this church, but there's one thing you can count on at the end of the worship service. I am going to give you a benediction from Romans 15, verse 13. And I will say, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Joy and peace. Back in, in the Psalms, in Psalm 4, I told you when... when uh, Tay and I were in Africa a, a couple of months ago, and, and, you know, it was hot, and it was difficult, and we're out in the jungles, and, and it's a little unnerving, and, and God gave me Psalm 4, verses 7 and 8, and it just, they pressed home on me. What does that say? It says, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and new wine abounds. Joy is what God gives his people. And the very next verse, verse 8, says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So it should not surprise us that joy and peace flow 
right away at the top of the list, out of our relationship with God. What is joy? Elizabeth Sherrill, she says, joy is love smiling. I like that. Joy is love smiling. Joy is an inner rejoicing, an inner rejoicing that abides in our souls regardless of the circumstances of our life. And what we find is that the Christian will experience a fountain of joy in their life. One other song we need to learn here, Tony, is that old children's song, I've got a river of life flowing out of me, makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Anybody know that song besides me? Opens prison's doors, sets the captives free. The Bible says that there is to be a spring that wells up inside of us, regardless of the circumstances. You can actually be unhappy and still have joy. Joy and happiness are not the same thing, you see. You can get an F on a test in school, but you can still have the joy of the Lord in your heart. You can. Joy. You know who I think of in our church family when I think of joy? I, two people come to my mind. I think of Sherry Melcher. You guys know Sherry? Wherever she goes, there's just this blessed joy that flows out of her. And our brother Elias, who was up here singing today, comes bounding in here every Sunday morning beside himself. He can't wait to get started so he can rejoice in the Lord. It's good to get to know Sherry. It's good to get to know Elias and ask them, where does your joy come from? They'll tell you how it comes from the Lord. Some of us tend by personality to be like Eeyore the donkey. Does anybody remember Eeyore the donkey? What, wh who's Who's he from? What story? Yeah, Winnie the Pooh. What does he always say every day? Good morning. Looks like rain. Some of us are like that by nature. Too many grumpy Christians. Philippians 4.4 says rejoice in the Lord when? Always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, let me repeat myself. Again, I say rejoice. So the fruit of the Spirit is not only love, but then joy that is to well up inside of us. And then peace. What is peace? Peace is just love resting. Love resting. What does it mean to have peace with God? Jesus has brought peace with God. You don't have to be afraid of God anymore. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace, settled peace. It's an inner quietness that trusts in God's sovereignty. I don't see, yes, I do see him this morning. I think of our friend Amilcar Fernandez. When I think of a man of peace, I think of Amilcar. There is a steadied grace in him. And when I'm with him, I get calm. I have this sense that he trusts that God is the sovereign God, that God is the just God, and no matter what my circumstances, God is in control and he knows what he's doing. And so our brother, he is a, a man of peace. The fruit of the spirit of peace is in him, this inner quietness. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep 
in perfect peace, him whose mind is fixed on you. Well, some more appetizers come to our table now. And the list goes on, and there's three more, three very concrete results of love. The first two flow inside us, out of our relationship with God. The next three are pictures of our relationships with each other. And what are they? Patience, kindness, and goodness. Patience, kindness, goodness. Are these the words people would use to describe you? He's a patient man. She's a kind woman. He's good. What is patience? It's an interesting word. It comes from the Greek word makrothumia, which literally means long-tempered. Now, what's the opposite of long-tempered? Short-tempered. Do we have anybody here in this room who's short-tempered? Any knee-jerk responders here in this room? Any people who see what's wrong and immediately let you know? Patience. You know what patience is? Patience is this quality of self-restraint when you are provoked. You see, when someone provokes me, the universe entitles me to tell them. And some of you, that's your really your special gift. Patience is to be in the presence of someone who is annoying and to hold your peace and to be silent. Patience is love waiting. A couple people come to my mind as this appetizer is here before us. We'll spend a whole Sunday on this, but I think of my own daughter, Charlotte. And one of the things I love about Charlotte is she's so patient with people. People that are struggling, people that are difficult. And I watch her with them. And she sets them at ease and she disarms them. And she doesn't get all bent out of shape. She, she says, Dad, they're broken, and I'm broken. Cut them a break. Isn't that beautiful? My daughter, is, she's patient. I think of our friend Wes Traeger. Wes is up in the sound booth there. Wes is in charge of all the technology of the church, and he's surrounded by fools. <laughs> Wes, Wes, my mouse is at the end of the mouse pad. What do I do next? You know. <laughs> Poor guy. He's so patient with me, with us. He just comes alongside. Long suffering. Yeah, he suffers. Long macrothumia. The Holy Spirit wants to increase your endurance with people who are annoying. That's patience. Next appetizer comes. What is it? There's kindness. Kindness. And kindness is just living with charity toward other people. Benevolence. The, that 
special kind of creative self-giving of your way to other people. Kindness sees a need and just steps in to meet it without asking for anything in return. Kindness considers another person and thinks, hmm, how am I going to help them out? There's one gentleman in our church that is such a blessing to get to know, uh, Yong Kim. One of the things I love about Yong is he has antenna. He's, he's, he's just always sensing when somebody's struggling. And then he thinks, how can I help them? And he takes the initiative to help them. Of course, that makes him a fantastic doctor, right? A guy like that should be a doctor, and he is a medical doctor. But it's more than just in medicine. In the body of Christ, when people are hurting, he, he, I hear him pray. He comes to Wednesday night prayer meeting. I hear him pray for people. He steps into people's lives. See, that, that, that's the fruit of the spirit of kindness. I hope you get to know uh, Dr. Kim. Then there's goodness. What is this? The lexicon says goodness is just uprightness of heart. Uprightness of heart. And in the New Testament, there's two people in the book of Acts that are given the, the, the adjective of goodness. And I wonder if people would use this of you. One is the woman named Dorcas. Does anybody remember there's a woman named Dorcas? And it just says she's full of goodness and good works. And then there's uh, Barnabas. And who was Barnabas? Barnabas was the encourager. His name actually means the encourager. And I love Barnabas. He's this charismatic figure who, who goes out of his way just to, 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 to splash the love of Jesus Christ everywhere that he goes. There's goodness. Full of good works. Now, in our church, I think of, I think of two people that aren't here right now because one of them's downstairs, Barbara Groff, who's prepared our feast for after the service. And she's watching on the screen, overflow, closed circuit downstairs. She's protecting your food from all the little vultures downstairs. <laughs> you see, she can't come up here because otherwise the swarms of locusts will descend on what she's prepared. But she's here on Saturday decorating the room making sure the kitchen is clean, you know? Just full of goodness, nobody sees it. And our sister, Charlene Heinel, one of the things I love about Charlene is that when somebody's in trouble, by the time I get there, she's already there. I, I don't know how she does it. She's got like a bat signal somewhere. And she's always driving people who don't have a car to get where they need to go, She's always got a meal. She's always cooking a meal for somebody. These women are like Dorcas. They're like Barnabas. Fruit of the spirit of goodness. Human illustrations. And then the final three actually manifest themselves inside us internally with what you might call a new kind of self-discipline or self-mastery. And love is guided by this internal rearrangement of my lazy soul. What is on that list? Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What is faithfulness? Faithfulness is love proving itself constant. Faithfulness is love proving itself reliable. 
keeping its word. When people describe you, do they use the word reliable? He gave me his word. You can count on it. What a beautiful fruit of the Spirit. There's two men in this church uh, that in particular just came right to my heart. First is Jim Westbrook, one of our deacons. One of the great things about working with Jim, and this is true, is you only have to ask him once. I like that. You only need to ask him once. Will, will you take care of that? And then a couple days later, I'll say, you know, we need to do this. And he says, it's already done. That is a beautiful thing. Same thing's true of our friend Ian Patillo, Ian, our drummer. When I say to Ian, I pick up the phone, I say, Ian, would you do this for me? He says, John, of course, I'll take care of it. And he does. I love that. You know, one thing about Ian knows everybody. Ian knows everybody in the greater New York area who, who plays an instrument. You know, he just knows them all, and they all love and respect him. So when, when we need some help, assistance, all we have to do is say, Ian, will you help me? Sure, John, I'll be glad to, and then it's taken care of. Can we say that of you and me? We, I hope we can. You can count on him. You can count on her. That's faithfulness. Then there's gentleness. And there's a kind gentleness is an interesting self-mastery because the word for gentleness is actually used of a, of a wild stallion that's brought under control. Huh, isn't that interesting? It's not some docile donkey. But it's the same word they used of the stallion that was mastered and brought their emotions under control and presents in a demeanor of calm, gentleness, love yielding, holding its, yield, learning to yield. Do New Yorkers know how to yield on the expressway? Not at all. You know, the on-ramp says yield, doesn't it? Do, do New Yorkers know how to do that? They don't get out of the way. But the Bible says the Christian learns how to be gentle. That is, they self-master. Someone who's, who has that sort of calm self-mastery uh, over top of a high-energy persona is our friend Tony Cunin. And Tony... I love this about you. Tony is a living illustration for us of gentleness. But don't mistake him. He is a, a, a man of high internal intensity, of high intellectual ability. And yet, children, where he teaches, respond to him because... He disarms them with his gentleness. Gentleness. Some of us are not macrothemia. Some of us even have violent tempers. And you want God to give you the fruit of the spirit of gentleness, don't you? And I'm praying that he will give that to me, to all of us. And then finally is self-control. This discipling of our passions 
the disciplining of our tongues. And self-control, it's interesting. You start with love and you end with self-control because John Stott said that night 35 years ago, he said, you know what? You can never really love a person until you can control yourself. You might have gooey feelings, but not the kind of dynamic, intentional, self-forgetting, self-denying love. You have to have self-control to love like that. Yield to comfort. Give up your comfort for the sake of the glory of God. You know who I see? Well, there are so many in this congregation, but, but ever since the first day I got here, was Maggie Laska. Maggie has this ability to show up at game time whenever something needs to happen. She's there and she's ready to be in the fray, in the battle. She has learned how her own creature comforts are not nearly as important as the glory of God. And she's a wonderful example to me. I've learned so much from her. Yes, 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 I think God just made her highly organized and skillful and a good administrator. And in fact, you need to be aware that this list is not merely human personality because there, there are lots of Buddhists and Mormons and atheists who have some of these traits inside of them. What's the difference? The difference is that these are fruit of the fruit of God's Spirit that glorify Jesus Christ as they are exhibited inside of us. And that's how you know that it's the fruit of the Spirit. You know, John Stott concluded his talk to us that day in that dormitory room, and he said, you need to know, this rich, booming British voice, you know, he said, you need to know that there is only one person in whom the fruit of the Spirit was ripened to perfection. Who was that? Jesus Christ. And this whole thing is about making us more like Jesus. Do you know Romans 8, 29? Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Do you know what God's eternal plan? He predestinates people. Hmm. For what purpose? To make them like Jesus. To make you more and more like Jesus. This is supernatural stuff. I, you know, every once in a while, the TV commercial, it says, says I should have had a V8. Right, I should have had a V8. What's that commercial saying? Every good nutritionist tells you you should have eight fruits and vegetables every day, right? Well, how about if we have a heavenly nine? The heavenly nine. Listen, the last thing that John Stott said to these 19-year-olds was this. He said, for the last 20 years, every morning when I awoke, I would get out of bed and down on my knees and I would ask God for the fruit of his spirit and I would list all nine of these before him and say, please, O oh Lord, for your glory, would you work these more and more into my life? 
And he said, and I hope that I will do so every day for the rest of my life. I was overwhelmed by that. I was really touched by it. Can we do that for these next 10 weeks? Can we start each day asking him to do something wonderful in the life of this church, in your life, in your family, in your marriage? Oh, your husband needs it, right? Your husband needs this. Oh, yeah, your wife needs this. She really needs it. Oh, your kids need this, don't they? Oh, your parents need this, don't they? Well, yes, of course, but who needs this? We need it. Not a V8. How about nine a day? This study that we do is going to be both discouraging and encouraging. <laughs> discouraging, because we'll see how far short we fall. Okay, that's all right. But encouraging, because we know that we're being made more and more like Jesus Christ. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father, how we thank you for this fruit of your Spirit. And we invite you to manifest transforming grace in our lives. Every day, help us to ask and request the fruit of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.